Father, we acknowledge that your Son is the image of you. He is your firstborn over all creation. And by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And we confess that he is before all things, and he holds everything together. He's at the center of it all. And we acknowledge that Jesus is the head of this body and the whole church. And he's the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. And we want that supremacy to be real in our hearts, in our lives. And in these moments we spend once again digging into this precious passage. Help Jesus, your Son, to be more glorious in our eyes, in our hearts, when we're done again looking at this passage today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in our fourth week in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. We're going to spend one more week in it, and then we'll be done. We spent a lot of time breaking out the words, looking at the structure of this poem, connecting it to our theme verse for the journey, which is the second chapter, verse 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, rooted in Christ, strengthened in the faith, and overflowing with thankfulness. And we recognize that understanding who Jesus is is at the core of that whole journey, and so we're digging this out. Two weeks ago, we talked about the central theme of this poem about Christ, which is that He holds all things together. He's at the center of everything. Then we talked about the two things that move towards that central thought, that He is the firstborn over creation, and He's the firstborn over the new creation. We spent time last week exploring that phrase, firstborn. Because in our modern day, we might think a firstborn is born first. And as some of the cults that have arisen over the years suggest that Jesus couldn't possibly have been the true God because he was also man. And that's been a mystery that the church has been trying to understand for a long time. But there were those that just, rather than trying to understand it, just rejected it outright and came up with the idea that Jesus had to have been somehow created. And so they would look at a phrase like firstborn and say, see, that, that's proof of it. But we learned last week that firstborn is a position of honor used at God's discretion. Do you remember the two examples of God using the phrase firstborn that we talked about? Anybody? Again? David. He refers to David as his firstborn. You will be my firstborn king. The king of kings. David, who was actually the youngest of seven, God chose him and set him above not only his brothers, but over his nation, and set that nation, which is the second example of his firstborn, he calls Israel his firstborn, he sets that lowly nation, led by a lowly king, as the supreme center of the work of God on planet earth. They are his choosing, firstborn. See, 2,000 years ago, if you've heard that phrase, you'd understand that firstborn had to do with four qualities, preeminence, supremacy, ownership, 
and authority. The fact that the phrase in this passage is used twice helps us understand it is not in any way talking about an origin of Christ. Because he is not just firstborn over creation, he's firstborn over the new creation. He is supreme, he is preeminent, he is the owner and the authority over the new creation. We go on and look at what we're going to actually explore today. And that is this language about Jesus being the image of the invisible God. And especially the further section for by him all things were created. We're going to explore this idea of Jesus as creator. And then next week we're going to talk about Jesus as recreator. So let's begin reading again at verse 15 of Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. That's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at this interesting phrase that begins the passage. He is the image. The Greek word is icon. What religious term comes to mind? What? Yes, the Russian Orthodox. Icon. Which for them means a physical representation. These things are thought to have some manifest uh, presence of God in them. That's what the modern idea of icon is, but it's not what the word means in the Bible. Icon, he is the image. It means the visible reality. And so what we're saying is that Jesus is the icon, the visible reality of the invisible God. So what Paul is teaching is that Jesus is God visible to us. What prior to Jesus was not seeable or touchable in Christ has become visible. He is the visible presence and representation of the invisible God. Now I want to take you to two passages that help us understand this idea that what we can know of God is revealed physically in Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews 1 to begin with. And before we read this, I just want to remind you of Jesus' own words, referring to this idea that Paul says, He is the visible reality of the invisible God. What did Jesus say about himself in relation to the Father? I and the Father are one. What else did he say? Exactly. If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. God is spirit, Jesus said. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the image. He is the visible reality of the invisible God. Let's look how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Verse 1 of chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. What Hebrews is all about is that the past was good, but Jesus is better. 
That's basically the whole theme of Hebrews. He sets the theme right up front. In the past, what we know of God has come through mere men who were prophets, who were filled with God, and they spoke to us in various ways. And the idea there is that they were snapshots of God, right? Snapshots. And we go back and trace the life and teaching of all the prophets of the Old Testament, some of whom did the weirdest things in order to somehow reveal God. And very often what they were doing left people going, huh? It was okay. And then he goes on. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. Compare that to Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him or in him all things were made. What does the writer of Hebrews say? In relation to firstborn, it says that God appointed him heir of all things. God designated him, gave him the title a firstborn. Same idea. Appointed him heir. He appointed him. He didn't create him as heir. He put him in that position. Now, let's read on to verse 3. This is the one I want you to see that helps us understand more fully the idea of Jesus being the image, the visible reality of the invisible God. Verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Okay? The sun is the radiance of God's glory. That word is only used once in the New Testament. It's used here. And what it means is, is that the sun is the sole expression of the Father's glory. He is the sole expression of the Father's glory. That's why He's the better revelation. That's why in the past, when God spoke through the prophets, it was okay, snapshots, little pictures of God. But then Jesus came. And now Jesus, as opposed to the snapshots that came in various ways and in various times through the prophets, now Jesus, He's the whole deal. He is the sole representative, the sole expression of the Father's glory. In other words, all that is true and glorious of the Father is shown through the Son. He is the radiance of God's glory. Then he goes on and says, the exact representation of His being. The exact representation of His being. The Greek word there means two things. Perfect imprint and the very image. If you were an artist, you would say, this is the Mona Lisa, and this is a duplicate of the Mona Lisa. Is the duplicate the very image of the Mona Lisa? No. It's a copy. So in the Greek word, when it says, it is the very image, it is the very representation, what they're saying is that he is 
The real deal. He is the exact God that is God. Now, we have a hard time with that because obviously we think of God the Father and then there's God the Son. How can Jesus be both God's Son and at the same time very God? That's a hard concept for us. Let's go back to the idea of the Mona Lisa. It's a beautiful painting. And many people have copied it. Now, how would you know if you were an expert that the copy was not the real thing? Yeah? Sure, everybody has their own technique. There would be brush strokes. There would be even the use of paint. What else? He said he thinks that he used his, his fingers so that his actual fingerprint is in, in the painting. Sure, or even the fabric of the canvas, right? All right, so let me ask you a question. If we wanted to create as close as we could an actual copy of the real Mona Lisa, what would be the one way that we could do that potentially? How about this? What if we got Da Vinci and said, Da Vinci, would you paint it again? Exactly! Even if Da Vinci painted it again, would it be the very Mona Lisa? No. no, there would be differences. See, the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's no differences. He is the very image of God. That's the mystery of the Godhead. I want to take you to another controversial but powerful passage that speaks to this very thing. It's the first chapter of the Gospel of John. It's interesting, John in the, the Gospel is writing to help people understand this very thing we're wrestling with, that Jesus was God. To draw out the story that points to Jesus' deity. Ironically, later on when he writes his epistles, his first epistle is to address a different confusion. And that was to express the fact that Jesus was also man. You read the first few verses of 1 John, and you'll see that. And so we have this teaching in Scripture that Jesus was both man, and yet he was God. Here's how John describes Jesus, who is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, let's take this apart. I don't know how important you think it is to flesh this out and convince you that Jesus is God. In your mind that might be a settled thing, but trust me, you ought to know why. And you ought to know what people will try to do with Scripture to confuse that. Because as we've learned, the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ are the cornerstone, are the bedrock of the church. So we don't take that for granted. We contend for it. We understand and we need to teach it. So let me take some time and dig into this. Because the Greek wording is very important. In the beginning was the Word. The word was is the Greek word en, 
and would be the English phonetic N. And it's present perfect. And what it's literally saying was, when the beginning was, the word already was. The word was existing in the beginning. So it's the pre-existence of the word that is being spoken of here. When our world began, the word had already existed and had always been. In the beginning was the word. Okay, now the next phrase. It's interesting how John says these things because they, they seem to first contradict each other, but then there's a repetition of them as though he wants to make sure you understand, yes, this is exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> it sounds confusing, but it is what I mean to say. That's how he communicates this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word had always been before things began. And the Word was, same Greek word, N, present perfect. The Word was already. The Word was with God. The Greek word is pros. And the word pros means toward or another definition or translation would be face to face. So first of all we have the teaching that the Word, who we know is Christ, was already in existence at the beginning. And He was face to face with God. He was with God. That picture represents several things. It represents distinctiveness. The Word was distinct from God because they were face to face. It speaks about relationship. Face to face, in relationship with one another. And it also speaks about equality. Face to face. Not bowed down low in equal relationship. The Word was already in existence before things began. The Word was face-to-face -face in equal relationship to God. That's the second phrase. And then the third phrase, and the Word was God. Somebody says, describe for me what the Trinity is, at least in relation to the Father and the Son. This is it. The Word was with God, but the Word was God. Well, explain it to me. Well, I'm explaining it to you. The, the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. But that doesn't, that's not reasonable by whose standards? John said it. Let me explain it again to you. The Word was with God, but the Word was God. That's the explanation. The reason why we have a hard time with that is because it's beyond our understanding and it's beyond our personal experience. We are completely individual, yes? Right? And instead of real realizing that we were made in God's image, we want to understand God in our image. The idea that I, for instance, could be both my father and me, it's impossible. Why? Because human beings are individuals. And we insist that God fit 
our reasonable understanding. John says, well, but that's not the point. Here's the point. <laughs> the Word was with God. And by the way, the Word was God. Well, why? Because that's God. See? See, when we insist that who God reveals himself to be fit into what we find reasonable and therefore refuse to accept things that Scripture actually teaches, then we're a higher authority than God or his word. And we need to be reminded that God says, hey, your ways aren't my ways and your thoughts aren't my thoughts. So the best I can do to explain who I am to you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to help you understand that the Son is with me and the Son is me. Got it? No, I, I still don't get it. It's all pretty clear. <laughs> but I believe it. Uh, this, this is one of those areas that we just are arrogant enough to not even pay attention that we're insisting on what God teaches making sense to us in order to say it's true. So here's what's true. In the beginning, the Word had always been. And the Word was face to face in relationship with God. Oh, and by the way, the Word was God. Let's explore that phrase just a little bit. Because this is where, for instance, the Jehovah's Witness will, will want to say that we don't translate this correctly. They will say there's a definitive article in this phrase that suggests that the Word was a God. What they don't understand is that in the actual Greek, the O, the definitive article, modifies the word logos, not God. It actually says this. Kai, which is the word end, Kai Theos and O Logos. And the very God was the Word. The definitive article is for the Logos, not for God. Just look up Biblos.com, which is a great study source on the internet. Look up John 1 1 and then hit the Greek. And you'll see it's all there with the. English right underneath it. So what this is saying, quite literally, could be, instead of staying with the poetic repetition of the translation, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, it's just as legitimate to say, in the beginning the Word had always been, the Word was in perfect equal relationship with God, and God Himself was the Word. You follow what I'm saying? Now let's go on and read the rest of it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then here's that repetition. He was with God in the beginning too. <laughs> Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made. What's that next phrase? That has been made. How does Paul put it in Colossians 1? For by him all things were created, heaven and earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities. And what he's actually saying is there's visible thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, and invisible thrones, rulers, dominion, and authorities. But I love the way John puts it, because he's trying to say it as clearly as he can. He says, let me get this clear to you. Not only did Jesus create, without him nothing was made that has been made. Which means that Christ is not something that was made. Because everything that was made came through Christ. Are you catching what I'm saying? He could not have been made. Everything that was made came through him. See, John is making this very clear. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and lay what Genesis 1 teaches about creation against what John teaches in John chapter 1. We read, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. John 1, in the beginning, the Word was God. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, all things were created by Him. Colossians 1, in Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. God created the heavens and the earth. In Christ all things were created in heaven and earth. Back to Genesis. God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. John chapter 1, in Jesus, was life. And that life turned on man's life. It was the light, the spark of man. So make absolutely no mistake what the New Testament writers are doing. They are ascribing to Jesus the Word, the very actions, nature, of God who created all things. That's a, that's a powerful thing when you see them all lined up that way. In him was life. And by the way, just there's another contrast between Genesis and John. God spoke ex nihilo out of nothing. He spoke the world into being by the word of his mouth. Jesus is called the Logos, the very word of God. And then he goes on in verse 14 and says, That word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh, we beheld his glory. Paul in Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of the glory of the Father. When we saw Christ who became flesh, we beheld his glory, and in seeing his glory, we saw the Father's glory. If you have seen me, 
you have seen the Father. Have I woven that together for you today so you understand just how important all this is and exactly without mistake what the Scripture is actually teaching about who Jesus is. He is the Word who became flesh. To know Jesus is to know God. And that's really what it boils down to as we think about how do we apply this. Not only in our journey as a, as a growing congregation, but in your life. How do I know God? How do I understand what God feels, how God acts, who He loves, what He hates? How do I know God? It's not so hard. It's through His Son. If you want to know the Father, get to know the Son and His Word. Because if you have seen Him, He is the exact representation. He is the very same as the Father. He is the Mona Lisa. As the Father is the Mona Lisa. And yet they are also face to face. I love a good mystery, don't you? (laughs) And that's why it's a walk of faith. Let's pray. Father, you are full of grace and truth. And we can't always fully understand what is true. We can't make sense of it. And it's, that's when we have to decide if we're going to let Jesus be at the center of all things, holding it together, or if we're going to put our reason, our ability, our knowledge, our level of understanding, and put that at the center of everything and try to somehow hold what we believe together. And that's selfism. Help us to surrender to you and allow you to hold all these things together by faith in our lives. You, Father, are represented in the Son. You, Jesus, are one with the Father. And we honor that. Father, we want to give you glory. And we do that by honoring and acknowledging your Son in our lives. And may that be always true of us as your followers, but may it especially be true of this thing, this journey, church, as we come together around that bedrock, that truth of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.